This e-multiple sclerosis review program is presented by DKB Med Radio. OCT is, it's really an, an incredible tool and there's more and more growing evidence um, supporting its use in MS. And because of that, uh, it's being incorporated into more and more MS clinics and it's being used as an important outcome measure in many clinical trials. It's fast, safe, it's reliable and repeatable, um, and it's been shown to correlate with many, many important outcomes of interest in MS. Using the new biomarkers in clinical practice. Welcome to this edition of eMultiple Sclerosis Review. New and emerging biomarkers. Can they fulfill a long-term unmet need in MS care? Can they monitor MS treatment efficacy? Indicate new lesion formation before MRI? Warn of near-future relapse? Predict impending relapse-related disabilities? How can they work in practice to help clinicians provide better care for their patients? To address some of these questions, we're joined today by Dr. Emily Shore from the Department of Neurosciences at the University of California, San Diego. For our guest disclosures and additional CME information, please go to our website, emsreview.org, and select the Volume 5, Issue 12 link. I'm Bob Busker, DKB Med Editorial Director and Managing Editor of eMultiple Sclerosis Review. Dr. Shore, thank you for joining us today. Big pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. In your published journal review commentary, which is still available at emsreview.org, you discuss the evidence basis for the use of the MS biomarkers newly available. Today, let's take that information a step further and bring it into the clinic. Our first learning objective is describe the practical aspects of interpreting neurofilament light, or NFL, for progression or treatment response in people with MS. So start us out in the clinic, if you would please, Dr. Shore, with our first patient scenario. Absolutely. So the patient under our care today is Ms. Marquis. She's a 35-year-old woman with multiple sclerosis on oral therapy with about 80% adherence. Her last MRI um, about five months ago was stable, though motion degraded. She's had her neurofilament light checked uh, for the second time recently, and it is quite high and it is even higher than it was the first time she had it checked about six months ago. She comes in today to discuss the meaning of this results and what the next steps are. You explain neurofilament light, doctor, in some detail in your commentary section in our last issue. Uh, refresh us again, if you would, please. What is neurofilament light? So neurofilament light is a uh, something measured in the blood that helps provide information about some aspects of MS. It's a protein that's found only in neurons and helps support their cell um, structure. So when um, neurons are damaged, their membrane breaks down and releases NFL. Speaking very loosely, it can be thought of a bit like a troponin for the brain. In prior years, we could only measure NFL in the CSF. But thanks to modern lab techniques, we can measure it now in the blood, which makes it a much more practical biomarker. And is MS the only issue that drives neurofilament light levels? No, it's not. So everyone has a certain amount of normal neuronal cell breakdown and therefore NFL in the blood. Many things besides MS do increase the um, amount of NFL. Age is a, a top one. 
With normal aging, NFL levels go up. With a lower body mass index, NFL levels go up. And the kidneys clear NFL, so NFL may go up with renal disease. Um, NFL is high in many other neurological conditions as well. But NFL has proven to be especially useful NMS, um, which is why it was granted approval as a breakthrough device. Um, the FDA device program is designed to allow for faster approval for tools that facilitate care in areas of the greatest unmet need and biomarkers and MS absolutely fit that category. Dr. Shore, in what ways has NFL been found to be useful in the management of multiple sclerosis? So it's looking like NFL can be helpful in several different ways in MS, but we are still exploring its most optimal use. Its FDA approval is for use uh, in relapsing MS patients to look at the risk of relapse within the near future. Beyond the FDA approval, you know, research suggests that NFL is um, really excellent MS in sort of three, three main categories. The first um, being that it correlates as an indicator of activity. It correlates well with uh, relapses and with the new lesion formation on MRI. The second is um, NFL seems to be good at predicting some aspects of MS, such as the uh, risk of relapse in the near future or uh, the risk of relapse-related um, disability. And then the third um, category where NFL seems like it's quite helpful for MS is in um, treatment efficacy monitoring. Um, when people begin high efficacy therapy, uh, NFL levels uh, in some studies have dropped down to where they're really indistinguishable from healthy controls. And this is really exciting to have one biomarker that can look at so many different aspects of MS. NFL, is it a useful tool for all forms of MS? Uh, as you said, the FDA has approved it for relapsing MS, but what about its utility in progressive disease? So this is a really key point. NFL's relationship with progressive disease and um, progression um, independent of relapses is less clear. There's some conflicting results and um, it's, it's less certain. And that's part of why the approval was only for uh, relapsing MS. So the patient you brought us, her NFL has been rising for the past six months. How do you approach dealing with this finding? So NFL, like essentially all biomarkers, is really most helpful as sort of one data point to add to the, the constellation of information that you have about a person. So we won't just hang our hat on just, just one result. I think in this case, I would start by confirming that the NFL result truly is high and is uh, higher than we would expect for someone with her um, demographics and, and situation outside of the MS. Um, one tool to help address this uh, is an online calculator uh, recently made available um, by a group of researchers out of Basel. Um, it allows you to calculate the uh, expected NFL in a healthy control of your um, patient's um, age and BMI. And so at least that gives you some framework to get a sense of, of given those factors, is this NFL you know, far outside the limits of what we'd expect. After considering that, um, 
assuming it really was truly elevated. Uh, next, I would assess her holistically to look at any other factors you know, outside of MS that might be contributing to elevated NFL, something like renal disease that may be developed in the interim. But if there's no other explanation, no kidney injury or other neurological issues, how would you explain to this patient what her high NFL finding means? So um, in that case, I would um, explain to her that this high NFL does suggest that her MS is not as controlled as we would like and that she is um, probably at risk given her entire clinical situation, including the NFL, for um, accumulation of uh, future disability. In terms of action steps, uh, I think it would be valid, given the entire picture, to uh, get an MRI perhaps a bit sooner than one would otherwise. And um, I would also want to discuss with her treatment options um, based on this and based on the fact that she's reported you know, some issues with adherence regardless. Well, her adherence, uh, as you noted in her patient scenario, it's 80%. You can tell her that it's not high enough, but how are you going to explain why increasing it is so important? So I would discuss that in her case, um, given her clinical context and this um, concerning NFL results, that I'm concerned about her risk of impending relapse. And you know, in addition to perhaps a bit more evaluation, I would absolutely want to talk with her about treatment options. I think it would be important to discuss with her if there were realistic ways that we could either improve the adherence of the medication that she's on currently, or if there are other um, stronger treatment options that might be a better fit for her. This patient has been getting her neurofilament checked every six months. Is that considered an appropriate time frame? Well, that is a, a great and tough <laughs> question. There really isn't consent, consensus or strong data to guide about how often we should be checking NFL. Um, I'm sure in, in some cases, checking it every six months or so will be appropriate, but it's going to be a learning curve for all of us. Are there other biomarkers, doctor? Either ones that are already in use or that are new and emerging that NFL can be paired with? So there are some emerging biomarkers um, still being studied that do appear to complement uh, NFL. Um, one of the most important um, complementary biomarkers is one called allele fibrillary acidic protein, or GFAP for simplicity. Um, and studies show that uh, when obtaining the two together, it can provide a, a bit of a more well-rounded prognostic picture than either alone. Some research groups are actually proposing that perhaps even equation combining a few biomarkers, including NFL and GFAP, um, can help um, uh, determine whether someone is a progressive or a relapsing patient, for example. Thank you, Dr. Shore. What we've talked about today bookends beautifully with the information you presented in last issue's written commentary. What I'd like to do now is review our discussion in light of our learning objective. Describe the practical aspects of interpreting neurofilament light, NFL, for progression or treatment response in people with MS. You presented a lot of information. What are the key points you'd want our learners to remember? I think I'd say there's five key, key takeaway points. Uh, the first, NFL is a uh, neuronal 
cytoskeletal protein that was recently FDA approved for use in relapsing MS patients. Uh, number two would be that um, many things outside of MS can affect NFL, especially age, BMI, kidney function, and a whole range of other neurological conditions. Um, the third point uh, would be that NFL uh, appears to be valuable as uh, indicating activity in MS in predicting relapses and relapse-related disability and um, in monitoring uh, treatment. But its relationship with progressive MS is less clear. Um, the fourth point would be that um, emerging data suggests that other biomarkers in the works, such as GFAT perhaps, um, might be uh, complementary uh, with NFL for prognosticating an MS. And then the last point uh, would be that you know, in terms of everyday practice, you know, specific guidance about um, the logistics of actually using NFL to the individual in front of you is a bit limited, um, and we're, we're still learning the basics, uh, even something as simple as how often should we be checking NFL. Thank you, Doctor. And we'll return with Dr. Emily Shore from UC San Diego in just a moment. It really is a very simple question. Your CME, CEU credits, have you got all that you need? Because they're still available without charge from eMultiple Sclerosis Review. It's the information you need to improve patient outcomes, combined with how that new information can be applied to clinical practice. eMultiple Sclerosis Review delivers expert clinical advice and analysis. It's accredited for nurses as well as physicians and all programs and credits are provided without charge. Find what you need at eMultipleSclerosisReview.org. Welcome back to this eMultiple Sclerosis Review program. We've been speaking with Dr. Emily Shore from the Department of Neurosciences at the University of California, San Diego, about how to interpret NFL, the neurofilament light biomarkers, in the clinic. Let's turn now to our second learning objective. Describe the practical aspects of interpreting findings from OCT, optical coherence tomography, for progression or treatment response in people with MS. Uh, so if you would please, Dr. Shore, take us back to the clinic with another patient scenario. Absolutely. So Ms. Edis is a 40-year-old woman uh, with MS diagnosed 10 years ago. Her uh, last attack uh, was of the cerebral cord four years ago, and she had one bout of optic neuritis prior to that. She has preferred to remain off of DMT since um, she feels fine in between attacks and feels that she's recovered quite well um, from her prior two attacks. Um, she's obtained annual OCT um, for the last several years, and uh, her retinal layer um, thicknesses are below the first percentile for age-matched peers, and um, there's been a greater than expected rate of thinning um, noted on each scan. So she's coming in today to talk about what the best next steps are for her. I think her reluctance to go on a DMT is understandable because she believes that her disability is not progressing. She's not feeling it, and she feels she's recovering well from her attacks. But she is showing, based on what we've been discussing, a number of risk factors that would indicate more severe or even progressive MS disability. Would you agree, doctor? 
Yes, definitely. So first, she has ongoing relapses, even if they're not very frequent, but she's off of treatment. Um, so she may be accumulating some subclinical disability. Um, she also has cervical cord involvement, which is another um, poor prognostic factor. And then lastly, uh, now her OCT provides another important data point that really paints an overall concerning picture for Missy Dis. So how can her OCT findings assist you? So for interpreting her OCT, as with all newer biomarkers and, and even older biomarkers, you know, first start off with uh, verifying the validity of the results. So first, um, we would ensure that it really is um, thinned versus age-matched peers, which we know it is. And we would make sure that the OCT is quality, that it's not, you know, significantly artifact degraded or that there aren't major ophthalmological comorbidities that might be impacting her scans. Barring that, um, I would explain that the OCT is, you know, additional evidence that she is at risk of uh, worse neurological outcomes in the future, even uh, when she isn't actively having frequent attacks. Let's step back a moment, doctor. I want to make sure everybody's on the same page here. Just what is OCT? Uh, define it for us, if you would, please. Yeah, so uh, OCT is, it's really an, an incredible tool, and there's more and more growing evidence um, supporting its use in MS. And because of that, uh, it's being incorporated into more and more MS clinics, and it's being used as an important outcome measure in many clinical trials. As my uh, mentors have described it, OCT can be thought of somewhat like a quantitative ophthalmoscope. Um, and it's it's really a very appealing biomarker. Um, it's it's fast, safe, it's reliable and repeatable, um, and it's been shown to correlate with many, many important outcomes of interest in MS. In your published journal review commentaries, doctor, you mentioned retinal layers that can reflect global CNS processes. Uh, talk to us about that, if you would, please. Yes. So there's two retinal uh, layers that have arguably the most extensive data behind their use. Uh, one is the retinal nerve fiber layer, or the RNFL, which uh, should not be mistaken for NFL, which we just discussed, and the ganglion cell layer. Um, so, for example, uh, the ganglion cell layer has been shown to correlate quite well with brain atrophy, and brain atrophy is a fairly established marker of neurodegeneration. So this is a really exciting, uh, promising way to get a better look at progressive MS, where there is such a critically unmet need for biomarkers. There's also um, emerging research, um, as discussed in the most recent commentary, that other um, retinal layers um, may also be able to predict a more aggressive MS course. What can you tell us, doctor, about how OCT actually works? So OCT can be thought of sort of like a light-based ultrasound, where retinal layers are measured to the degree of the, the micron based on how light reflects back from the retina. And this all just takes seconds to obtain, which is pretty amazing. Um, OCT technology has really come a long way in the last couple of decades. Question, Dr. Shore. When a patient's retina starts to show rapid thinning, as it does with the patient you brought us, will her retina stay that way or can anything improve it? 
So it's an important question. Unfortunately, um, there's no known way to you know grow back um, retinal layers as, as seen on OCT. Um, but uh, what we do hope to do is stabilize and slow the rate of atrophy. And that is what um, some of our best treatments can do. So that kind of leaves initiating a high-efficacy DMT in this patient. Is that what you would advise? Yeah, most likely, yes. Um, though, of course, drug selection would depend on many other factors. Um, I think in this case, the OCT would be something that I could um, show to and discuss with the patient as sort of, you know, quantifiable evidence of um, irreversible damage. The patient you described, she's 40 years of age. Would you have the same concerns and give her the same advice about her OCT findings if she was, say, 70 years old? So in a nutshell, I would probably be less concerned about her OCT changes. But of course, um, I would still be concerned about the relapse that happened just a few years ago. Why is that? So a recent study clarified that uh, in patients, in older MS patients, so that's roughly, you know, older than mid-50s or so, um, the thinning seen on OCT over time is actually largely driven by aging and not actually by MS. Interesting. What about for patients who have had optic neuritis or ophthalmologic comorbidities? Are OCT measurements still valid? This is a really important question. Yes, there are um, expected changes in OCT that um, we expect to see around the time of an optic neuritis event. So uh, for the first several days or weeks, the RNFL um, will actually appear to thicken because it's swollen edematous. And then uh, over time, over weeks and months, the RNFL will reveal that it is, it is atrophying after an optic neuritis event. And the GCIPL will begin atrophying very shortly, you know, days after optic neuritis. Most studies that include people who've had a history of optic neuritis will account um, for that through various methods, but there is um, expected post-optic um, neuritis um, atrophy seen on OCT. And then in terms of ophthalmological comorbidities, um, those can absolutely affect uh, OCT results. But for many of them, there's um, expected uh, patterns that we that we know to look for that can help help us interpret the OCT of this person despite their comorbidity. Final question on this case, doctor. This patient that you brought us, what treatment did she receive and how did she respond? Yes, so convinced by the OCT data, even though she feels fine um, off of DMT in between relapses, she agrees to start high efficacy therapy. And the results? And a year later, she's relapse-free. Her OCT thinning has uh, normalized to an expected rate, and she's doing very well. Excellent. Yes, and the lesson is that biomarkers are not just for researchers and clinicians. Um, the additional information that biomarkers provide can really uh, help empower patients to make uh, decisions in their own care. Thank you for sharing your knowledge about OCT with us, Dr. Shore. Let's review our discussion now through the lens of our learning objective. 
describe the practical aspects of interpreting optical coherence tomography, OCT, for progression or treatment response in people with MS. What are the key things our learners need to know? Yeah, so some some key takeaway points um, about OCT would be the first, that uh, OCT captures discrete retinal layers and growing data supports it as a practical uh, biomarker for use in MS. Different retinal layers, such as the RNFL or GCIPL, um, have been shown to predict MS-related disability um, to correspond with the type of treatment that they're getting to correlate with brain atrophy, um, future MS activity, and other variables of, of interest. As with all biomarkers, adjusting and accounting for important patient factors, such as age, is really critical when interpreting OCT. Another key takeaway point would be that the rate of atrophy related to MS uh, appears to be more important in younger patients with MS, whereas in older patients with MS, um, the atrophy rate uh, may be driven more by normal aging. Dr. Emily Shore from the Department of Neurosciences at the University of California, San Diego, thank you for sharing your expertise with us in this e-multiple sclerosis review program. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to get to highlight two exciting biomarkers that might really improve the care we provide for IMS patients. For eMultiple Sclerosis Review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at eMultipleSclerosisReview.dkbmed.com. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. The Multiple Sclerosis Review is copyright with all rights reserved by DKB Med LLC. Thank you for participating.